I'm Carrie. And I'm Amy. And you are listening to The Perks of Being a Book Lover. This is a show where two friends chat about books and reading with another book lover. And we find book lovers everywhere. Talking about books is one of our favorite things to do besides get over an annoying cold. I forgot what it was like to have an annoying illness, but now I'm better. (laughs) And we may be a little biased in thinking that reading people are the coolest people. And if you've listened to this show at all, you know that I love a good book club. And Carrie and I have been in one together for 15 years. I am the designated book club organizer. And even though book clubs have been one of the great passions of my adult life, keeping them organized can be an annoying process. You have to find a date that meets everyone's needs, make sure that everyone knows about the meetings and what the book is, or even choosing the books. The administrative bookkeeping tasks are not things most people are anxious to do, which is why I've ended up doing it. But there's a relatively new website and free app called Book Clubs, that is Book Club with a Z, that can help streamline the process. Our guest this week, Anna Ford, is the CEO and founder of Book Clubs, which started out as a simple computer program she used to help keep her own large book club organized. Over time, what was a rudimentary program has been featured in Forbes magazine and has blossomed into a business that helps tens of thousands of book clubs all over the world. Before we talk to Anna... So Thanksgiving is tomorrow when this airs, and it is decidedly not as chill as last year. So uh, I feel like I need to do, you know, those uh, news programs, like from the days of old, you know, when they go, you know, like breaking news. I feel like I need to come on and go, Amy is low on chill right now. (laughs) I am a little low on chill. I will admit that one of the things that I did realized that I appreciated about the pandemic was that our holidays were small and intimate and much more chill. And it is decidedly not chill for me this year. So yes, Carrie, I am low on chill. I have 16 people coming to my house for Thanksgiving. And I used to love to entertain and I always enjoyed hosting Thanksgiving and I have now turned into a person who wishes that we could just go to Cracker Barrel. You and you blame me for it. You're what like, do you mean? I blame well, no, no, you. For no, it. You, don't, you don't blame me. You're like, you're rubbing off on me. I'm like, I have a lot of skills, but um, <laughs> making people into introverts is is not one of those skills. So it's not your fault, Carrie. It's not your fault. I. Know I that. <laughs> I don't know. It's like the thought of all those different family dynamics is a little daunting. And to have the three dogs running around, it's just like I'm going to have my own little personal National Lampoon's Christmas vacation, (laughs) but it's going to be Amy's Thanksgiving nightmare. But, you know, it'll probably be not as bad as what I think it's going to be. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. And then it'll be over. Yeah. And this is what I was trying to explain to you. Here's the difference. So with me, I don't even get myself into situations if I even think I'm going to be remotely unhappy with the amount of people that are there. I'm like, are there more than three people? I don't even think I'm going to do it. So that that's the difference. Our starting points are different. Maybe it's that you're an optimist, which is actually a good thing. I think you're an optimist. You think this is going to be great. And then you go, oh my gosh, this is like 
nerve wracking. Whereas with me, I'm a pessimist. I'm like, this is going to be awful. And so I don't even go there. Well, see, I have been doing Thanksgiving for our family for years. So it's like one of those things, it's tradition now. And tradition. I am anti-tradition too. I have mentioned that I'm anti-extra. I am also anti-tradition. Traditions need to change. I mean, you can't do anything about it this year. Like this year, you just got to write this year off. You just got to have your wine and maybe borrow an Ativan from somebody you know and, you know, do some yoga stretches in your bedroom halfway through, like whatever you got to do to get through. But but then next year, tradition needs to change, especially if it's going to like freak you out. I asked my husband, are you sure I can't just get a bowl of mashed potatoes and gravy and go hide in the corner in one of our closets? (laughs) In our house, my husband would be like, that sounds like a great idea. Can I come with you? (laughs) (laughs) We'll just leave. Maybe that's what Chris and I will do. We'll leave all the guests down to have the Thanksgiving dinner and we'll go hide in the closet with our mashed potatoes. With your bowl of mashed potatoes. That sounds kind of romantic. (laughs) Well, I think that we should go ahead and talk to Anna. She has a really inspiring story about her app and how much she loves book clubs. In fact, she is in seven book clubs. That's how much she loves book clubs. She's even surpassed me. So, (laughs) And that's saying a lot. Let's talk to her. Anna, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure. Anna, you are talking to two people who have been in a book club together for over 15 years. And before that, I was in two or three other book clubs. So we are book club lovers. So we're excited to talk to you and about your new innovative ideas for book clubs in the form of your app. But first, tell us just a little bit about yourself. Sure, happy to. So, yes, I am a book club enthusiast um, and lover, like like yourselves. And you know, book clubs have been near and dear to my heart for a very long time, and they they hold a special place in my calendar as well. I'm currently <laughs> a member of six active book clubs, so oh uh, I do a lot of reading and discussing. And until I founded book clubs, which I know we'll talk about a bit more later, book club and reading was just a personal passion of mine, not a business. My background is actually in public health and healthcare policy. So I worked most of my career as an advocate at state, local, and federal level for public health policies and focused on infectious diseases and eradication strategies for HIV and AIDS here domestically in the U.S. So I've done a lot of work um, all over the country, really, with state and local health departments state legislatures, and also at the federal level working on healthcare policy and health access issues. So my background is very much in the healthcare science and policy space, but I really made a a major transition a few years ago when book clubs, which was just a personal uh, tool and website for organizing my book club, took off and started growing organically. Many book clubs found it and now here I am as founder and CEO of book clubs and had a non-traditional route to entrepreneurship and being what I would consider a social entrepreneur. But I'm I'm really I'm loving the journey so far. And while I miss some of my my work in, in public health, this this new professional endeavor has been a fantastic gift and learning opportunity for me and I think something I will I will continue for 
hopefully a very long time. Let's go back before you were <laughs> I was going to say before you got into public policy and infectious disease, mm-hmm. you mentioned that you're now in six book clubs, but when mm-hmm. you were a kid and a teenager, were you a big reader then? And that has just continued through your adult life. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so good question. And as I reflect back, yes, books were always a huge part of my life, even as a little kid. You know, my my mother was a big reader. Our house was full of bookshelves and books. In school and in high school, I I loved English and literature classes. I excelled in, in those classes. I read constantly. I was a huge fan back then of magical realism and I think I read every Isabella Allende and Garcia Marquez book. That was really an obsession of mine in high school, but I never thought of it as a professional route for myself because I was also so interested in science. But books, reading, and literature have really been a core part of my personal story from a, a very young age. And I think this endeavor and venture with book clubs has really put me in touch with that part of myself in a professional way that I had never imagined as a kid thinking I wanted to, you know, go into medicine and science. So let's talk a little bit about your book club experiences. What was your very first book club like and why did you join one? So I joined my first adult book club in 2005. I had recently graduated from college and was living in Washington, D.C., and it was actually my boyfriend at the time, his older sister invited me to join her book club. Um, and she had a book club with a group of friends, you know, women her age who also happened to all work in the public health field in D.C. And I felt like, you know, I was their, their little sister joining the book club. But I learned so much from these women and they were so inspiring. We, we, we mostly read fiction and literature, not, not exclusively, of course, but every book club meeting was an opportunity for me to really expand my professional network as well. And I learned so much. So then we had so many topical conversations around social justice issues and, and social policy issues. That was my first experience with a book club, and I'm so grateful that my, my boyfriend's older sister was so kind and generous and invited me to join because, like I said, I've been in a book club ever since. My first experience, I was probably about the same age that you were. I was right out of college, but I got married soon after I graduated college, and my husband started medical school, and he was busy and studying all the time and I didn't know anybody. And so there were a group of us who were partners, I guess, of medical students and we created our own book club. And that was sort of my first social group that I formed and I formed it through making the book club. And so that has kind of continued on throughout my life that whenever I move, I create a book club and that's how I make my first friend group. So I think uh, book clubs have, yes, they're about the books, but they can be about other things, you know, as well. I agree wholeheartedly. And the the book club that inspired the website and platform book clubs actually came about for exactly that reason. In, In 2011, I moved to a new city. I moved to Philadelphia. I knew very few people. Two people that I did know in Philadelphia, two friends um, actually from, from college, we formed a small book club, just the three of us, with the idea of, well, I'll bring a friend to book club, and that's how we'll meet new people. So 
there was a small group of us. It was just the three of us. And then a fourth got added, a friend of a friend. And we continued this, you know, bring a friend book club for many years and filling. So it grew from that, that initial core group of four people to almost 40 people. And it became not only my book club, but you know, my whole friend group, my, my social support network. And while, you know, soon after forming the book club, a lot of turbulence in my personal life. And there was something about that book club that was much more than a book club for me, you know, that standing spot on the calendar um, each month that that you knew you would be surrounded by friends and and like-minded people and talking about literature and the world and just each other. It was just such a big part of my life and something I was so grateful for. That even when we grew to to such a large size of nearly 50 people, I took on being the, the de facto leader I just valued book club and the, the social network that it had, had created for me so much. And that was really my first foray into the understanding all the, the challenges in leading a large book club. When I had a really busy day job as well, it was just a lot to take on the organization. And after some time at that size, we started to, to struggle a little bit. We were drowning in email chains and Longer time was lapsing between our meetings and we were really struggling to decide what to read next. And if one more person sent me a personal email, you know, what are we reading? I forget which book. Maybe the the club would have completely died out. It was that experience um, that really inspired me to create book clubs and also just a serendipitous meeting. I met our co-founder for book clubs, Ian, through a book club friend. He went to grad school with several of my book club members actually in Philadelphia and was a self-taught computer programmer and he was looking for a new project an idea for a coding language he was learning and needed something that had um, an email network component I pitched who could build a website for my book club um, and we worked together on a few months of doing exactly that and that was the initial version of book clubs it was just a, a personal tool for the club I was leading in Philadelphia it has grown leaps and bounds since then, what we'll talk about. And also, that guy, Ian, is is now my husband. Um, <laughs> this, this, this book club um, project has been just one, one gift after another for me personally as well as professionally. So how would you describe book clubs to people? You know, if somebody mm-hmm. was in an elevator with you and they said, what do you do? How do you describe it to people? So really, our tagline for book clubs is we make organizing a book club simple, and we are a web mobile app for book club management. And our whole purpose of why we provide this free management tool is to help book clubs get organized so that they'll stay together. So in short, book clubs is a tool that clubs can use to get set up, to manage their membership to schedule meetings, um, to track RSVPs, to keep a library of the books they've read and also books they want to read, and to communicate with each other in a more streamlined way on the book club's message board. So it's really a, an organizing tool designed specifically for book clubs and how they operate and the tools that they need to save the, the club leader and organizer some time and to keep the, the members more engaged with one another and hopefully that activation and engagement and organization will allow the club to stay together and not not to stand just because of logistical challenges. 
So when you and Ian were first pitching this idea and you started thinking about it, were there things that early on, and I mean, I think this is just Mm -hmm. sort of typical, you start with an idea and then as it, it starts progressing, you realize, oh, well, it needs to do this and we want it to do this. So how much has book clubs changed from your original idea of what you wanted to do? Have you added features and tools to it that sort of came along after the initial idea? So it's changed tremendously in terms of the feature set and what book clubs offers and what clubs and readers can, can use it for on the, the website or, or on the app. Some things have remained core and central to book clubs. The very first thing we built was the meeting scheduling. And early on, had the mindset that this would need to be very simple and streamlined and easy to use, especially for me personally. That was the whole goal in order to be worth you know, using another website or app outside of of email or Facebook or whatever. So the first thing that we built with book clubs to solve that headache for me was the meeting scheduling tool, being able to post a meeting, time, date, make it movable and include the book so that I could, we could post a meeting. We were just a website at first, I should mention also. The app didn't come along until later. Everyone would get an email notification. Um, There's automatic reminders of your meeting on this book is in two weeks, in one week, one day, just to keep everybody on the same page. Everyone knows what we're reading and when and where the meeting is. There wasn't, you know, 500 emails the day before a meeting. What's the address and where are we? And did everyone finish the book? So the first thing that we built and really all book clubs was early on was the, the meeting scheduling and reminders and RSVP tracking system. And in addition to that, my book club one of our traditions was that um, after every meeting, we would go around and everyone give a rating of the book from zero to 10. And that was really just a way for us to conclude every meeting and to make sure that everyone had a chance to share their opinion in case they were quiet, you know, during the discussion. And so we built that into the, the site at first as well. After each meeting, you could rate the book. And we kept that rating in the club's books we read tab. Um, So those were the two main features of the first version of book clubs. And we used that for almost two years. And it was two years in that we decided to open book clubs up to the public and lots of clubs started finding us. And that's when we started adding features really based on on their feedback um, and learning how other clubs operated and the the tools that they needed. And so, yes, we've we've added so many features and totally new looks since then. You would laugh probably if you saw the first version of the clubs and the, the lack of design. I mean, it was, it was very much just a, a utility tool. It had no no design and we laughed about the colors. Even the name book clubs just came out of a quick necessity. Um, it was a, an available domain and I've, I've had an evolving relationship with the Z on our names <laughs> since Ian chose it without consulting me in, back in 2013. But now you can do a lot more with even the, the club page and membership management, digital shelving of books you want to read, or two, I'd say, biggest things that we built based on user needs and feedback. It's the ability to integrate those meetings into calendars. So not just our own notification and reminder system, but there's now a calendar integration and the ability to, to conduct polls. So clubs now use book clubs to really democratize the book selection process. So sending polls out. We built polls based on 
user feedback and, and, and a lot of the early clubs that were on book clubs letting us know their biggest challenges was choosing what book to read next. And so we built the poll to democratize the book selection process and clubs can use it and send out polls, pulling books from the books we want to read tab that almost anybody um, can add books to. You can auto-populate a poll with those books. The poll creator can create their own list of, of books to put out um, and then create a poll for what to read next and, and, and members can vote um, on their favorites. So we first started just with that book selection poll feature. And now through our polling system, uh, you can also pull members from using date and time. So it's a built-in doodle system, book selection, of course, open-ended polls, yes-no type polls. So that is probably one of the key features for clubs. That was an add-on. Um, I didn't think to build it at first just for my club, but other clubs let me know that that's something they really needed. In addition to that, the ability to keep track of those ratings but to see what other clubs are reading and rating. So we've, we've added many um, iterations of popular book notifications and reading recommendations. We're building our own recommendation algorithm based on all of the data that we have from the now 40,000 clubs um, that have been using book clubs over time to really hone in what we think uh, would be helpful additions to your book clubs. So those are just a few of the features that we've added since the early days many, many more. But we yes, it was a very rudimentary, simple site at first. And we've grown leaps and bounds. And in 2019, um, we built the app, which is complementary to the site, same functionality, but some members choose to use an app um, instead of going to a website. So that was that was a big launch for us a few years ago as well. I uh, downloaded your app recently and had all of our book club join it. But one of the nice things is you can have some members use the website if that's what they want to do or use mm -hmm. the app, you could kind of mix or match. Yep. So that's exactly. nice. Yep. So one of the features that book clubs offer that I think is nice for an individual person who may be moving to a new area or just decides they're ready to join a book club, but maybe they don't know anybody who's in a book club, or maybe all the book clubs they know, you know, aren't taking new members is mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. you can search for a book club that fits your needs on there. So yes. tell us a little bit about that for someone who just needs a little help finding their bookish community. So we have built, I think, the first and, and hopefully soon to be largest marketplace, if you will, for uh, individual readers looking for a book club community to join and book clubs that are open to the public and looking for new members, a way for them to find one another. And so that's just on our join a book club page. So on bookclubs.com, you can click um, on Join a Book Club. And right now we have uh, 135 active clubs um, open to the public looking for new members that are broken down by location. If you're looking for a local book club or theme, most are, are online, different types of sizes, shapes, reading preferences, purposes. You can, you can check them all out there. And that's been something that we launched. We launched that in June of 2020. And it was because we were getting many emails from individual readers saying, like, this, this site is great, but I don't have a book club or I'd start my own book club, but I don't know who I'd invite. Is there a way to find a book club? And we, we got so many inquiries that we said, you know what, we need to at least try this within our existing community of clubs. Um, now we ask all clubs when they get set up on the site, are you open to the public? Are you looking to, for new members? If, if you are, we add you to this page. So we've been growing month by month. It's my hope and vision that 
we have a book club in every region uh, for those local chapters or people that want to join an in-person book club, that we have online communities for every type of reader. And we are very much a book club website, but I want to be able to serve individual readers as well. Uh, maybe people that aren't in a book club or might not be ready to, to join or start their own book club. Um, there's a a community aspect and feel of book clubs that we're really growing and nurturing through our Join a Book Club page. And that page is also just now, literally as of two weeks ago, available on the app as well. So people, individual readers can download the app and find a book club to join. One of the things I noticed, the website also has, like just in general, like lots of bookish content. So you have mm -hmm. like a blog, so was that something, again, that was added to? And, and how do you go about determining what types of things go on the blog? Mm -hmm. So the blog is also fairly new and really in response to a lot of the frequently asked questions we were getting. We wanted to have another place for organizational tips. We poll our and survey our members, um, all of the, the community of clubs and book clubs, at least annually on what type of content would be most helpful to your book club? Tell us a little bit about how you operate. If we're, we have the ideas to build these you know, 10 new features next year, how would you rank them in importance and utility for your club? So we get a lot of insight for the blog and for all features and content on the site. So we have organizational tips. We have um, culture and literature. We have book reviews and author interviews. And then it, inspiration. So we put a spotlight and feature different clubs each month to give other readers a taste of, of what's out there, maybe to inspire some of their own book club practices, or again, finding a, a club to join. And we also create a lot of discussion guides. So we have a discussion guide page on book clubs, and we're hoping to build this out even more. Again, I think there are hundreds of books that we've already written discussion guides for. We do have a little bit of an on-demand request system, and when we get several requests for a book, we'll, we'll write a discussion guide for it. That's something that we hear each year, you know, from book club leaders that they need discussion questions and prompts for their for their meetings. We've put together guides that kind of fit all types of book clubs so that you could go through all 10 questions or you could pick one or two as, as a jumping off point. That's a great so, resource. Yeah, based on just all of the insights we have into popular books and we can look months ahead to see if there are books bubbling to the top that, you know, hundreds of book clubs have scheduled a meeting in December for a certain title, we want to make sure that we can pro provide um, a discussion guide for those those upcoming popular books in a predictive way. So those we generate just in-house um, in response to what the clubs on the platform are reading. I, I know for myself, a lot of times for the students I teach, you know, sometimes there'll be questions that for a book that I'm reading with them or, you know, if they're doing some kind of book project, I mean, I could see that would be a useful tool for teachers as well, that if they just mm -hmm. need a quick question that they can say, okay, talk to your small groups about this. I mean, that would be a, I'm always looking at things with the teacher hat on too, a little bit, not mm -hmm. just for book clubs. So that, that sounds yep, like definitely. it would be super helpful. Yep. And we have almost a generic guide that could be used for any book um, out there as well. And we just launched something I'm super excited about. It's still in its early stages, but we now have a public forum on book clubs, um, a community forum, where until we launch this forum, all activity and club activity is housed within each club page on the site. And those pages are private and only accept, accessible to members. So we have unique invitation links for those, those private clubs. 
even ones that are open to the public, you can't access any of that club information unless you become a member of that club. And so those discussion boards are, are full of questions and responses. And we've recently launched a community forum that will allow clubs to kind of connect and talk to one another. And whether it's a thread on a certain book or maybe a, a tip or a tool, I think we're going to see a lot of user-generated um, discussion questions and prompts come up through our community forum that clubs can share with one another, you know, about a, a certain book. So I'm really excited to see what what direction the community forum takes. I love how open you are to user feedback and helping it shape your site. We're both responsive to feedback, but so incredibly grateful for all of the, the feedback that we've received. Book club members and leaders are just wonderful people. <laughs> and I mean, even in the early days, I knew every club leader that, that came to, to book clubs and there was such an open and generous dialogue around, this is how our club meets. This tool would be really helpful for us. And we still get tons of feedback on a daily basis. Anytime someone joins, you know, they get an automatic email, welcome, please send me your, your, your feedback. And it is hard to respond to all of it. We have now over 200,000 people using book clubs um, and growing. However, we can see trends and through, through surveys, if there's something that comes up time and time again, we know this is a, a user experience issue that, that we need to prioritize. But I also don't think we would have been able to do it if the users weren't so, so generous with, with their feedback and ideas. We talked a little bit about COVID. People were stuck in their houses and they had nothing to do but read. So mm -hmm. there was an article in Forbes that said book club users jumped 26% after the pandemic occurred and, you know, people yeah. were quarantining. <clears throat> so before the pandemic, did book clubs offer the option to meet virtually or was that something that COVID prompted it? COVID changed a lot for book clubs. That was a monthly growth rate. So book clubs has grown organically since we launched. We continue to grow, but usually like 5 to 10% growth each month. And a couple months after COVID hit, so March, April, May, June, even into July of 2020, we just saw month-over-month -month growth larger than we had ever seen. And what was so interesting is we knew before COVID hit that 90% of the clubs on book clubs met in person. We were largely a, an online tool to help clubs meet offline, and all of that changed with COVID. So now it might be the opposite. You know, we still I think two thirds of the clubs in our site now um, only virtually, and who knows if if that will continue. We're we're kind of back to more normal month over month growth. But I I think what COVID has taught me and us is that book club is very versatile to both in-person or virtual formats. And so we have built out a few new features in response to the growing you know, virtual book club phenomenon. So we do with every meeting, have a virtual meeting and we've done a lot of revamping of the message board to support live chat. Um, there are a growing number of clubs on the site that they don't meet at all virtually or in person. They meet on the discussion board, and some of them even say everyone come to you know the message board at 6 p.m. on Thursday, and we just have a meeting over live chat. So that's something that we built out in response to the growing number of, of online book clubs that came from COVID. So we're we're seeing more and more clubs go to a hybrid model. I think many um, book clubs that had been meeting in person. Uh, adapted to virtual ways of meeting and some are starting to go back 
in person. It'll be interesting to see what next year brings, but it did prompt us to add more functionality for online virtual only book clubs. But I think there's a lot of versatility, as I'm sure you both know. I don't know how your your book clubs kept things going um, last year. Probably some Zoom meetings, maybe yeah. some outdoor yeah. <laughs> meetings yeah. in the park. or Yeah, we did all those things. Zoom meetings, outdoors, you know, and now we're back into meeting in real life. But I wanted to ask you a little bit. So our book club has been going on, like I said, for like 15, 16 years. We started out, I would organize it by email, which gets Mm -hmm. cumbersome when you have so many emails flying back and forth. People can't keep up with the emails. And then we Mm -hmm. sort of transitioned to a Facebook, a private Facebook group. And that is Mm -hmm. where we have been communicating with one another. But over Mm -hmm. the last few years, we've had some members not really want to stay on Facebook because of some troubling issues with Facebook, but I have not known of any other platform that worked as well. So when I heard about book clubs, I was very excited because I thought, okay, this might be the way that we can ditch Mm -hmm. Facebook for those people who, at least for the book club portion of our lives. So have you heard that from other groups? Definitely. So we hear from many that are they're, they're converts over to, to book clubs from, from Facebook or Meetup or even Goodreads that they were looking for an organizing tool that was really specific to a book club without the distraction of a larger social network. But also, especially with Facebook, we heard of club leaders. You know, two of my members are off of Facebook for privacy concerns or ethical issues, or maybe they just need a break from social media. Right. And, you know, the you can't use use one of those sites as your organizing tool if all the members aren't on it. So yes, we've seen many, many people come over from those other larger, um, more general group organizing type sites and tools to book clubs because it is very much centered around how a book club operates. That's what we set out to do and to kind of be an alternative to email or one of those larger social media organizing tools. Bravo. I'm super Thank excited you. about that. Let me know how that transition goes. Yeah. I think there's also sometimes with um, a, a club that's established on an existing you know, platform or solution, a little bit of like, oh, do I have to try something different or move everyone over? For the clubs that have done it, I think it was, it was worth <laughs> bringing the, the members a- along. So you'll have to let me know how that transition goes and if there's any feedback along the way. Well, so far it's been positive. Like I said, we had a couple members already who had said, you know, I really don't like using Facebook. The only reason I'm still on Facebook is so that I can check our book club page periodically. But I even had a couple people when I suggested it say, I am so happy that you suggested this because I really want to do less on Facebook. And so thank you for attempting this. So I want to ask, What's it been like to take something that was a personal passion of yours, books and reading and book clubs, and turning that into a business, especially since you said that that wasn't really your background, your background is in health policy. So Mm -hmm. I'm sure that it's been rewarding in a lot of ways. Has it also been scary trying something so different? It's been challenging. As we were just talking about, it's been all consuming. You know, running, I think, any type of startup business is a lot of hard work and a lot of uncertainty. And it it is. Your work becomes all-consuming. I think that for me, because we built, 
this as a tool for myself and solving a problem that I had, something that's so near and dear to me. It's made all of the hard parts worth it because I'm so connected and passionate about book clubs being a part of my life and wanting to help others kind of find that that same reward from from book club. And I was asked at a a panel a week ago, uh, I was in Richmond talking about entrepreneurship and we had done a startup accelerator program in Richmond, Virginia last year. And somebody asked, you know, what's one thing you would tell somebody thinking about starting a business? And what came to mind for me was to make sure you care enough about the problem you're solving Mm. um, and that you care enough about the quote unquote customers you're going to serve to be able to to do this day in and day out, um, even when the going gets really tough. Like I, I'm just I'm learning so much about management and team building and fundraising and finance and things that it's been a, a tremendous professional growth opportunity. But even the hard parts, what gets me out of bed every day is this thing is about books and bringing people together over books. And it has been a dream come true in some ways that I'm, this is now my, profession and and livelihood as well. Um, I really never saw this coming. And I think that's what's made this an experience full of gratitude, not just, you know, business stress. It's kind of wild. Well, we are super excited to test it out. Well, we are going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're all going to talk about what we're reading. We are back with Anna Ford and with Carrie. Carrie, what are you reading right now? Right now. I want to (laughs) know. I'm not going to tell you what I'm reading right now because I'm not finished. I'm going to tell you what I finished not too long ago. Okay. It was an audio book. It's the second book by Tom Nichols that I've read. I think the second book I've read of his this year, the first book that I had read, and I think I talked about was called The Death of Expertise. This book just came out. His new one is called Our Own Worst Enemy, The Assault from Within on Modern Democracy. So Tom Nichols, he has a PhD. He's taught at the War College. He has studied Russian and U.S. relations and the Russian government. I mean, he's He's a pretty smart guy. And this book, he talks about things that are threatening U.S. democracy. And so one of the things he talks about in the book is the January 6th insurrection. And he talks about how, you know, the fact that most of the people who participated in that, they weren't people who were poor or destitute or harmed in any tangible way by government policy. You know, if you think about the people who went up there, it takes time and it takes money to be able to fly to DC or to get time off from work. You have to have vacation time and you have to have a car and you have to have money to drive up to DC. And so people who are poor people who have jobs where they don't get vacation pay, people who can't afford childcare and have somebody watch their children so they can go off to DC. These are not the type of people who were up in DC, you know, participating in the insurrection. So his premise is that a lot of the individuals who are sort of screaming the loudest that their rights are being harmed are people who have both money and time. 
and that they're essentially bored. Not that there are not people in the U.S. who live under hardships and negative conditions. He's, he's not saying that. But he's saying that a lot of people in our country, you know, we have things that we don't even realize anymore are sort of luxuries that our grandparents and for a lot of us, even our parents didn't have these things. And so some of these things are like cell phones or multiple TVs uh, in the home. So a, a TV in every bedroom or several cars. You know, a lot of families have not one, not two, but three cars. One of the things he talks about in the book is about globalization. People say, oh, globalization is bad. And it has been bad for certain sectors. But he talks about how globalization has sort of been one of those phenomenon that globally, it's sort of raised all boats. And that even though people in the U.S. complain about globalization, they also love globalization because it is through globalization that we are able to go to Target and buy a really big TV for our living room that only costs like $200. And it's why we can get t-shirts that cost 10 bucks, you know, that were made in Vietnam. So he talks about a lot of these economic ideas, but he also talks about narcissism and the feedback loop of social media. And that ties in perfectly to Facebook. You know, Facebook says, what's on your mind, knowing full well that none of us actually care what is on anybody else's minds. We just want to scream into the void and tell the world, you know, what's on our minds. So his argument is the threat to democracy in the United States is primarily coming from citizens who are sort of raging about things that maybe they shouldn't be raging about, like if they stood back and were a little bit objective. And he talks about how we've lost our ability to be altruistic, right? We don't like to be inconvenienced. And we saw that play out the last 18 months with how individuals have handled wearing masks, which in the grand scheme of things is a minor inconvenience that could benefit our nation as a whole. So he talks about how we need to focus on cooperation and compromise. And it's kind of one of those books where there's no easy answer. He doesn't have a solution. It's sort of depressing. Really? Uh, a little bit. But I feel like for me, you know, it's it's an interesting read. I'm interested in politics and economics. And so I think if you want to read a book that isn't a ragey book that sort of looks at it as, you know, here are the things that are affecting our society. And here are some things that we need to start refocusing on. Even if nobody else on the planet is doing those, it made me feel better to read it and go, at least Tom Nichols and I kind of see this similar thing going on. I think he writes a lot of op-eds with the New York Times. He does. Yeah. He does. Okay. And I follow him on Twitter. And he even talks about, I mean, one of the things that I really appreciated in his audiobook, he narrates it. And he even said, he said, you know, I'm sitting here talking about social media and I participate in it myself. You know, I was going like, to say, that's kind of ironic that you yes, follow him on Twitter. <laughs> I know. And, and and the truth of the matter is we all participate in it. He's He's logical, he's methodical, he's honest, and he also understands that the things that he does, like a lot of us, are part of the problem. So, Anna, now that I've talked way too long, what has one of your book clubs been reading? This is actually hearing you kind of talk about about that your most recent read. 
dawned on me. I have been reading more nonfiction this year in book clubs than ever before. I think most of my clubs used to really focus and, and read literary fiction almost exclusively. And I've been having some great discussions about nonfiction, but I am reading one right now with our book clubs team on The Art of Gathering by Priya Parker. It's, it's all about bringing more purpose and meaning to meetings and gatherings and not just meeting for the sake of meeting, which we've really been trying to build into our workplace culture at book clubs, but it's had so many takeaways for how to conduct really purposeful um, book club meetings as well. So that, that's a book I'm halfway through and um, having a meeting on next week, but I've also recently read uh, for book club nonfiction uh, one by Benjamin Moore, The Secret Lives of Groceries, I think is the name of it. It's a fascinating expose on the, the grocery industry in the U.S. and, and its, its history. So th those are two recent nonfiction books that I've read for, for book club. The one about gathering, I think COVID really distilled that for a lot of us, right? That like all the meetings, you know, whether it be like a business meeting or a PTA meeting, you know, at your kid's school, all those meetings, not all of them are necessary anymore. We were to ask ourselves before every meeting, like, what is the purpose of this meeting? We would maybe we would not have it, but maybe, you know, we'd make just different decisions about how long it takes or exactly who's invited or so the, the book's been very insightful. It was a, a bestseller for for a long time. I had just never read it again because I was mostly only reading fiction, but it's been it's been really helpful as I as I think about how to juggle these six slash seven book clubs I'm in, but also a calendar full of meetings that I that I never had before when I was working independently on, on the site. So I would, I would highly recommend it really to any book club. Oh, that's awesome. So The Secret Life of Groceries, that sounds intriguing, but I'm also like, what would I discover about groceries? Does it go into disgusting things? Like things? Um, it's that not that gruesome. It, it might make you think differently about where you shop or what types of groceries you get at what type of market mm. um, without doing too many spoilers. You know, there was a one chapter that was a little, a little gross to me about the, the seafood section of grocery <laughs> stores. Um, but actually that what I, I took away from, from it so more than even really focused on the, the food or the groceries or kind of the history going back from, you know, the first supermarket and Trader Joe's and to what you were saying earlier around our, our emphasis on convenience, it was the trucking industry in this country and how integral it is to how we get anything we want at the grocery store. And I really I learned a lot that was very sad to me about um, the life of a, a lot of truckers and some of just how exploited they are by, by the industry and by trucking companies all so that we can have whatever we want whenever we want on the, a grocery store shelf. So I thought it was going to be a little bit more gruesome or about, you know, food or where food is sourced. And, and there were some chapters on that, but it was a little bit more about the, the supply chain and the systems. Well, Amy, what 
do you have going on over there? I'm going to talk about something that's very different from what you two have talked about. It is nonfiction, but it's a memoir. And I feel like I've been reading a lot of memoirs lately. But the name of the book is called The Speckled Beauty, A Dog and His People by Rick Bragg. And this book is a new release. It came out middle of October. And Carrie, you know I am a sucker for a dog story. And this book does not disappoint the dog lover in my soul. So Rick Bragg started out as a journalist and he won a Pulitzer Prize for his reporting. And then he sort of changed gears a little bit and he started writing memoirs such as It's All Over But the Shouting, which our book club read at some point, and Avis Man. And he also writes essays that appear in Southern Living and Garden and Gun Magazine. He's a Southerner through and through and he's from Alabama. And when you read his writing, he is the ultimate storyteller representing his region through his turns of phrases and his use of regional colloquialisms. So Rick Bragg, he's in his 60s, and several years ago, he was diagnosed with a blood cancer, and he had a hard time with all the different treatments uh, before going into remission, and he decided to move back to his small hometown where he grew up in Alabama and to live with his mother for a while. So he could, he, he could recover, he could convalesce, but also keep an eye on his octogenarian mother. So stray dogs are not an unusual thing in rural Alabama. And honestly, they weren't where I grew up either. People had hunting dogs and they didn't always like keep them fenced or there weren't indoor dogs. But for Rick Bragg over his lifetime, his mother was an animal lover. And so she nursed back to health many stray dogs, cats, livestock, you name it. But when he moved back with his mother, he came upon this semi-feral dog who was wandering on their property and he was all torn up and starving. And so the author decided that he needed to take him in and nurse him back to health. And Rick Bragg and his his brother and his mother believed that the dog had once been someone's pet who was turned out to fend for himself. And then he kind of became wild in a way. But when the author shows the dog some kindness, the dog becomes forever attached to him. But the thing about this dog, and his mother named the dog Speckled Beauty, Speck for short, is that Speck is a terrible dog. He (laughs) chases all the livestock. He fights the other dogs. He tears up things. He pees on his mother's favorite flowers. He doesn't listen to anyone or anything. And he's a bad dog, but the author can't help but love him. Bragg describes him as 76 pounds of wet hair and poor decisions. And he says, it is my fault that he lives in in this delusion. He believes he's a good boy because of the thousands of times I have lied and told him so. (laughs) And what we find in the book is that Bragg in many ways rescues this bad dog, but in other ways, Speck rescues Bragg as well turns him around from a prematurely old cranky man who's probably suffering from some depression into someone who appreciates the small happy moments of life, like the craziness of this bad dog. So the book isn't just about the dog. It's also about his declining health and how he deals with it, about his family, specifically his complicated relationship with his brother. And all that is rolled into this book about a stray dog. Does this book sound like maybe it's a tad melodramatic and maudlin, like an adult version of Old Yeller? Maybe. Uh, Bragg talks about reading some of those old classics with dog heroes like Call of the Wild and Old Yeller, books he read in his boyhood. And in some ways, he was inspired by them. So maybe there is some of that. But this book is also funny. And if you've ever had a dog of your own that was sometimes a good dog, but also a lot of times a doofus and does bad things, <laughs> but you love them anyway, you will appreciate Bragg's ode to this dog with a story to tell. 
So I talked about another of Bragg's books. Uh, it was a book called My Southern Journey that was a collection of essays. And I talked about that about a year ago and I had listened to it on audio. And as I'm listening to this book and I'm about 70% of the way through, I have come to the conclusion that I may need to invest in a physical copy of his book as well as listening to the audio. And here is why. I never want to give up listening to a Rick Bragg book that he narrates. The cadence of his voice and his smooth country Alabama accent is like you are sitting on his porch with a glass of lemonade while he's telling you a story. It's an amazing treat and it makes his story come alive. But he's also such an amazingly beautiful writer. The descriptions and this use of language, they always blow me away. And so I listen to most of my audiobooks while I'm walking my own dogs. And while I was listening to this one, I had to stop walking, pull out my phone to the note app on my phone to type up my favorite lines while I'm walking my dog. And it made me wish that I had his book next to me so I could just mark my favorite passages. But I'm not willing to let go of Rick Bragg telling me his story and his voice. It's just too precious. Although he does, he does say something about cat lovers that I took a little bit of offense <laughs> to. Yes, he did. I think he likes cats too. Just, you know, not like a dog. They're just different. He says they do a lot of sulking cats. <laughs> they do. <laughs> Maybe that's why I like them. <laughs> All right. Well, let's take another short break. And when we come back, Anna's going to answer her three about me. We are back with Anna. Anna, are you ready to talk about your three about me? I'm ready. Okay. So number one, you live in Camden, Maine, and I just visited Maine for the first time about a month ago. My husband and I drove up the coast and stayed in different towns along the way, including Camden, which may very well have been my favorite. So what brought you to Camden and what is your favorite thing about it? So Camden is this beautiful, charming town on the mid-coast of Maine. It's been home for me since 2017, which is also when I launched book clubs as, as a business. And similar to you, Kim, I had never been to Maine until I went on a vacation the year before, and I just fell in love with the natural beauty and the pace and the hiking. I, I love to hike. And I went to graduate school in Boston. Um, and at the time, I thought that Camden, which is one of the, the favorite towns that, that I stopped in on vacation in the New York prior, was, you know, everything in New England's close to each other, it would be really close to Boston and an easy getaway um, for weekends from grad school. So we relocated to Camden, and I thought it would just be a back and forth weekend, weekend escape type place. And um, fell in love with it so much that it became home and where we now live and launch our business. Talk about Ian, that, that coder guy that I met. Um, <laughs> my husband, he's, he's from Knoxville in Tennessee. And I think he instantly fell in love with Camden. It reminded him a lot of being close to the Smoky Mountains and um, access to mountain biking and trails and hiking. And it's just where, where we ended up sort of on an impulse after a beautiful vacation. <laughs> I'll have to tell my husband he needs to be careful because at the time I said, I think that we could live here. This mm -hmm. would be awesome. But I've never experienced mm -hmm. a winter there. I mean, when we were there, it was perfect weather. What's it like in the wintertime? Yeah. 
So the winter actually isn't as bad as everyone fears. Springtime is, I think, a harder season in Maine. So winter, it is cold. It's not that much colder than other cities I've lived in um, in, in the Northeast. And it's sort of like a winter wonderland. So there's just beautiful snow and snowshoeing and skiing and, and December, January, February, actually really beautiful times to be in Maine. But that cold weather drags on all the way until, you know, May, sometimes June. So it's the spring months that things are more just muddy and still cold. And I'm looking to you all and you're having 70 degree days and I still have a parka on. That's when, that's when Maine is difficult. The winter is actually pretty beautiful and, and nice and very cozy, quiet. All right. Question number two. So we read that you enjoy narrative nonfiction memoirs. So who mm -hmm. is a person living or dead whose memoir you would like to read? It can even be someone who never wrote a memoir, but you mm -hmm. definitely read it if they had. So I do enjoy uh, memoirs and narrative nonfiction. Those memoirs that just read like a, a gripping novel. And I've, I've read many. I really like to read about inspiring women. And what I, when I look back at all of the memoirs I've read, the ones that I enjoy the most tend to be written by writers and authors about their lives. So I love Patti Smith's memoir. I loved um, Joan Didion's Year of Magical Thinking. I loved Samantha Power's memoir. And I recently read Crying in H Mart, another writer, um, songwriter's memoir, Michelle Botner. So I love reading memoirs by authors. There, well, there's one memoir on my want to read list right now that I have not read, and that's um, Jasmine Ward's memoir, The Men The Men We Reaped. And so that's next on my list. I'm in awe of her, not as an enthralling, um, mesmerizing writer and author. She's recently gone through a, a lot of hardship. Um, she lost her husband to COVID. And oh, no, really, I didn't know that. I've enjoyed so many of the pieces she's written. She's just a really incredible writer and storyteller and, and very open, I think, about about her grief. And anyway, her, she wrote her memoir back in 2013. So before even a lot of her acclaim, before she, she won the uh, National Book Award for the second time. And it's something, a book that I really would like to go back and read this year. So that's on my list. And going with that team, if there's another author that I'm so intrigued by, and she has not written a memoir, but I would love to read it if she did. And that is Elena Ferrante. I don't know if you're familiar with her. She's an Italian novelist. She yeah. wrote the Neapolitan series, Elena Ferrante. She was anonymous. It's a, a pen name. I loved all of her work, even her most recent, The Lying Life of Adults. And um, just so many questions about her life. You know, why, she, how, how, why has she been so underground and anonymous? What was the story behind that? Are, are the characters in her books, are they based off of her life? And what was it like growing up in Naples, I think, during such a big time of, of change and women's liberation? So anyway, those are the two. A memoir that's written and is on my want to read list and, and an author that I, that I really adore that if she wrote a memoir, I'd be the first to buy it um, would be Elena Ferrante. You know, she is a Neapolitan woman um, herself, but oh, I just want to know so much more about her. <laughs> Question number three. In addition to the six, almost seven book clubs and your business, you also have something else that has taken up loads of your time in the last six months. What mm -hmm. or who is that and how is that going? <laughs> so that would be my daughter, um, Elaine. And I recently had a baby and she's my first. She's six months old now. She's been a pure joy and delight. 
I have shown up to more book club meetings in the past six months without having finished the book than ever before. In my life. <laughs> so, I've started everyone, but um, I've had to be forgiving of myself. It used to be a pet peeve of mine and a, a personal rule. I never showed up to book club without finishing the book, but that's shifted a little bit just these last six months of um, raising her and being focused on startup as well. Uh, one thing that's helped is she likes to nap during long walks. So I turn to many audiobooks while going for morning walks in, in Camden with Elaine. Um, and that's been something that I really cherish. So she's she's been great. Well, Anna, thanks again so much for telling us about book clubs and about you. And we are excited to, to let more people know about it. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for this opportunity. I'm so appreciative of the, the chance to chat with you both. Thanks for joining us this week. Follow us on Facebook at The Perks of Being a Book Lover or on Instagram at Perks of Being a Book Lover Pod to see what we're up to. For show notes for any episode, go to our website at www.perksofbeingabooklover.com. The show notes are also included on the description of the episode on your podcast player. We have a new updated website that has some great new features, including listener book recommendations and pictures of our guest pets. So come by and take a look. Finally, a huge thank you to Forward Radio 106.5 FM, a grassroots community radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there, live or in archives, at forwardradio.org.